This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. This stool's kind of wobbly. It's going to go down. Anyway, good morning. I am, uh, honestly, I am humbled by the thought that you have made the decision to participate, to give of your time, your attention, uh, to take opportunity to share uh, your faith, proclaim your faith together, whether here or on site, or whether if you are with us online. And so, thank you for that. We're called to gather as a church to as the Hebrew writer says, spur one another on to love and to good deeds. And my prayer is that that is uh, something that you will have opportunity to do through this time. If you don't know this already, my name is Didi Bacon, and I'm the senior minister here, and it falls upon me to uh, provide uh, really, hopefully, a guided tour, if you'd like, through the Word of God, and in particular as we uh, go through the Christmas story as we uh, take a moment to recount joy to the world, the Lord has come. You know, uh, bits of joy, stories of joy seem to have come this past week, couple weeks to me uh, in some strange places. I don't live too far from TQL, they're off Ferguson, and I drove by one of their ponds and I saw a whole bunch of people standing around the pond with uh, telephoto lenses taking pictures. Yep, yep. And I kind of found out what it was all about. It was all about a duck. Uh, apparently, we have a celebrity duck in our midst, a Mandarin duck that uh, finds its origins in Asia, Southeast Asia, China, Japan, uh, certain parts of Russia. This Mandarin duck is a rarity, and uh, we have one of our own spotted in the pond just outside TQL. Here's a picture of, this is a, a duck showing, this is not the duck, that's our Claremont County duck. This is a duck that uh, just kind of shows you what they look like. Beautiful little guys, aren't they? Beautiful little guys. So my friend Jeff Perrine went down to the lake and took a picture of the duck, uh, the actual duck. I'm calling him Mandy. Mandy the Mandarin, hey, you're like, that's a girl's name. Well, my name's Dee Dee, I'm a boy, all right? And uh, Mandy can be a boy's name, Mandy the Mandarin duck. But here's a picture of the duck, and uh, there he is. That's our duck, our celebrity duck. And it was fun for me to go down and see that. Shannon and I went to watch. Now, I know I've read there's been speculation as to how the duck got here, obviously brought over for some reason, where there was a pad intentionally. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I haven't really dug deep into it. My theory is that the duck is here for one reason. He's here for the lady because that's what he did <laughs> when we were watching. He followed the lady everywhere. My figuring is the lady was probably uh, entered into some correspondence in a relationship looking for a man of uh, Asian, uh, you know, mystery, and uh, he's a, a mail order. No. <laughs> uh, sorry. There's a lot of fun about the duck. Uh, another sort of source of joy for me was um, just a couple of weeks, maybe 10 days, a week ago, I uh, found myself watching this series, this video series show on 
Amazon Prime, titled This is Football. Now, when the title is football, it doesn't mean American football, it's talking about soccer. Most of the rest of the world call the game we call soccer, they call it football. And there was a series of um, episodes that focused on some pretty uh, amazing stories of the effect of football in different parts of the world. And, and I found it quite, quite intriguing, it was, it was really good. The last one was focused on, uh, on Lionel Messi. How many of you are familiar heard of Lionel Messi? Lionel Messi apparently is the best soccer player in the world. The best soccer player in the world and was talking about his genius. What makes him so good? Lionel Messi is the highest paid player in the world. This, in 2020, he's set to make in salary and endorsements $126 million. You have to be pretty good to be able to get that kind of money, right? I didn't, know, I, haven't, I didn't know much about Messi's story, and so this whole series, this, this episode really was fascinating me because it goes into his, his development, his childhood. Um, he's from Argentina, although he plays for a Spanish uh, soccer club, football club, FC Barcelona. And uh, growing up in Argentina, he always, always wanted to be a soccer player. In fact, the soccer club that he began uh, training in, he, he started coming through the uh, youth ranks with, uh, starting at the, playing at the age of five, was is a pretty well-known Argentinian soccer club. I think it's called the Newell's Old Boys Club. And Messi, Lionel, Leo, they call him, always wanted to play soccer. In fact, I have a quote here. This is what he said. He said, I don't know, I guess asking about football, I've liked football since I was a kid, and I've always dreamt of becoming a professional footballer. I never thought of any other job. And quite honestly, he was well on his way growing up in Argentina to, that, to seeing that dream fulfilled. He was a, a, a unique, prodigy, amazing football player uh, coming through the ranks, and then all of a sudden, at the age of 12, he became a, a cause of concern. He became a cause of concern to his coaches, became a cause of concern to his parents. And the reason they were concerned is because they noticed that he wasn't growing. All his other kids that he played with, all the guys that he was with in the academy were growing, getting stronger, 12-year-old boys gaining height, gaining muscle, gaining strength, gaining bone density. All those things were happening, but, but Leo was not. He was still staying small. And in fact, it looked like he was shrinking. And so they did some research. They tried to figure out what was happening. Found out that he has some kind of disorder that was preventing him from being able to have the growth, growth hormone he needed to grow. And so he started a series of treatments. He had to take routine shots to feed him the hormones he needed so that his body would grow, so that he would be able to develop the bone massity and the stature in order to gain some height and some weight in order to have him be able to play soccer. Things were going well. He was about 65% through the treatment, the, the course of treatment that he needed. It took over a number of years. He was 65% over, and all of a sudden, another tragedy hit. Another obstacle arose. Argentina's economy just collapsed. Uh, they began to pay for the policies of a, a neoliberal uh, government that, that just was, you know, spending in the crazy and 
basically put the, the country in economic peril in the, in the, in the 2000s. They were, they were in power in the 1990s. And long story short is that the insurance company that was paying for Leo's treatments had to come back, cut back. And one of the things they cut in order to prevent them from going belly up, one of the things they cut was paying for hormone treatments. Leo's father, also experiencing the economic downturn, was not able to find a job that would be able to pay for the treatments. And so, excuse me, we were facing a, a situation where uh, he would be stopping his hormone treatments that would stop his growth, that would prevent him from achieving his dream. Father, desperate to find out uh, what they could do, thought, well, maybe they could transfer him to another f soccer club in Buenos Aires, the, the capital of Argentina, and that transfer was set up, and there was the hopes that the, the rich owner of that club would pay for the treatments, and he would not. And so, Leo was in the situation where it appeared that his dreams would not come to be. And then they got an opportunity, an opportunity to go to Barcelona. And it turns out in Barcelona, there was a colleague, a, a man, an uh, endocrinologist that was connected to Leo's doctor, endocrinologist in Argentina. And there was the opportunity that Leo had to be able to transfer to the club FC Barcelona so that he might be able to receive treatments and be part of that club. That transfer didn't go smoothly. In fact, he didn't play soccer for a whole year because it was back and forth and they were blocking the trade and not allowing him. But eventually, Leo and his father left Argentina and went to Barcelona. And as they say, the rest is history. In Barcelona, he was able to receive his treatments. He was able to uh, be able to receive what he needed and he was able to be in a club where they were able to recognize his talents and build a team around him. Now, I think about the story of, of Leo Messi, and I think about uh, what he must have felt. What he must have felt. You know, his story reminds me of a truth that, that has come to bear for me in so many ways. Leo Messi is a genius not in spite of his trials and tribulations and struggles. Leo Messi is a genius because of his trials and tribulations and struggles. Here's a, here's a picture of Leo playing. You'll notice that he's still not very tall. He's five foot seven, weighs about 160 to 165 pounds. You're like, that's not a very big guy. But because he's so small, means that his weight is lower to the ground, his center of gravity is lower down. That allows him to do the amazing things he can do with a soccer ball. And if you think about it, if it wasn't for the economic crisis that forced him to be, look for alternative options for the hormone treatment that he needed, he would have never moved to Barcelona which was a traumatic move in itself because he and his father had to go together. They left uh, his mother and siblings back in Argentina. Leo had to leave his home. He had to leave his friends. He had to leave everything he knew as a young teen and start up a life in a strange city. But if it wasn't for that move, he wouldn't have gone to Barcelona. And if he wasn't at Barcelona, he wouldn't have met up with Pep Guardiola, the coach, who would have recognized his genius and make the bold move 
to create a team that would really lean into his talents and create a winning culture. It took FC Barcelona 105 years to win 64 trophies before Messi joined in 2005. In the past six years, he's led the team to 34 trophies. He's a one-in-a-generation player, once-in-a-lifetime player. And why is he this way? Because of his limitations and struggles. What turned out to be roadblock, what, thought, what was thought to be roadblocks actually turned out to be stepping stones to the fulfillment of his dream. He's a genius not because, in spite of his limitations, he's a genius because of his limitations. You know, I'm sure there were times when he must have thought, this dream that I have to be a soccer player, professional soccer player, I'm sure there were times when he must have thought, I can't go on. It's not going to happen. I'm too small. I'll never be tall enough. The treatments aren't going to, are, are, are stopping. I, I won't be able to be what I need to be. I won't be able to transfer to Barcelona with the hope of, of being able to go there and have someone to treat me. Oh, no, these people won't let me go. It's back and forth, back and forth, fighting for a whole year. I'm sure there were moments when he thought, why don't I just give it up? Why don't I just stop? Maybe it is God's will for me not to be a soccer player. This dream that I had within me, maybe I just need to, to override it and forget it and change path and change course and do something else. You know, I think we all have moments like this in our lives where we are living our life doing the best we can, fulfilling the dreams that we have, pursuing the callings that we believe God has given to us. And things turn south, things become sour, things become hard, and we begin to wonder. We begin to doubt. We begin to question whether or not God has really called us to follow Him, whether or not God actually hears us in our prayers, whether or not God, God's, God's calling for our life is what we want to pursue. You do your best to wear a mask, to stay healthy, be careful, be considerate of others, and yet you still come down with COVID. <laughs> You're faithful in your marriage. You do your best you can to be a godly spouse, godly wife, godly husband, and yet your spouse leaves you. You try to rear your kids in the Lord. You do your best to treat, teach them scriptures. You bring them to the church. They're part of the youth, the youth group and the church culture, and yet they still decide that church and faith in Jesus is not for them. You work hard for a company. You put in the hours. You work extra hours. You do everything you can over years, and then you're the first on the chopping block when things get tight because of the pandemic, and you're let go. You pray and you pray and you pray for the right person to come into your life. All you want to, all you need, you're, you're, you're lonely. You want to, you want a man in your life. You want a woman in your life who's godly. You, you follow God as best you can. You keep yourself pure. You don't compromise on your values. And yet it seems like no one is interested in asking you out for a date. And what happens is you begin to doubt your calling that God has placed in your life. And you struggle. 
And I think this is one of the hardest struggles because you're doing everything right, yet it all seems to be going wrong. And you begin to wonder, why? Why me? I don't deserve this. I didn't choose this. I don't want this. I thought I was on the right path, and yet it seems to me that it's all going wrong. You know, I read the story of Christmas, and there's a character, there's an individual in that story that I think must have struggled with this, must have been at a place where he wondered, what is going on? I have done everything correctly. I've done everything to honor God and to honor my commitments, and my world is being turned upside down. Do I, do I continue on? Do I pursue the dream that God has placed in my life? Do I, I chase after the hope that's within me, that God has put within me? Matthew talks, tells a story uh, from the perspective of the Jew. The Gospel of Matthew is written with the intention of persuading Jewish folk to accept Jesus as the Messiah, to believe in Jesus. That's, that's the intent of Matthew. And in the story of Jesus, he tells the story not of Mary like Luke. He tells the story from the perspective of Joseph because uh, he wants to let you know that Joseph was a godly, God-honoring Jew, honorable and noble, and he chose to follow Jesus. He chose to do his part in the bringing of the Messiah. And we're told Joseph was a God-fearing man, and we see in the story this being played out. Joseph is flat out described as one who wanted to honor the law, honor the law of God. He lived in a small community. At that time, Nazareth wasn't a very big place. In fact, I would guess really Nazareth was like this bowl, about maybe the whole size of this church, where a few communities lived around a spring of water, eking out a living. It was a Jewish settlement by folks, set up by folks who, who, who were taking a risk to try to scratch out a living in a new country. Joseph was a carpenter, it says, but what that means is, is that he was a, a laborer, he was a builder, so he more than likely built, worked in stone because there's not much wood in that part of the world at that time, and so he traveled around. He was a hard worker. He worked with his hands. Uh, he was a man who tried to do everything right. He was doing everything right when it came to, to the betrothal process with Mary. When we talk about being engaged at this time, our minds typically think of the way we do engagement. We get engaged, and then we set a date, but engagement is more of a promise. It's not very, it's not very like, legally binding, but in that time, in the first century, when you got engaged, when you got betrothed, it was equal to being married. And the way it works is, is that uh, you got betrothed, and then the young man would then let the woman stay with her mother's family, with her family, while he then went to prepare a house, a place to live for the two of them as a married couple. And it would typically be a house or a, an extension to the place where the man's father lived. He would prepare a place, and when that place was prepared, he would then signal to the wife's family, I'm coming to get my lady, my woman, 
my bride, and he would come, and it would be a processional, and then it would be a, a, another processional back to the house. There would be a ceremony, there would be a celebration, and then there would be a, a consummation, and they would be married. That's how it worked. And when we catch up with the story of, of Mary and Joseph and the, with, the, with the birth of Jesus, we catch them in this between time when Joseph is preparing a place for Mary. He's preparing a place to get ready for them to make a living. He hasn't yet officially come and collected her to bring her back. And she comes to him now, after doing everything right, can you imagine the scene? She comes to him and says, oh, by the way, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And I'm not pregnant because I cheated on you or anything we did. No, I'm pregnant because of God. Talk about a situation that's out of the ordinary that would turn your life upside down that would make you wonder, what is going on? Why am I being treated this way? Why is this happening? Talk about a situation that would cause you to doubt what had been obvious to, Mary, to, to Joseph moments before, what had been obvious as God's will for his life. Let's read this, go through the story together. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, we understand now after what I said to you why he uses languages of divorce, right, uh, here, because you say, well, they were just engaged. No, the, the betrothal was equal to marriage. It was a legal agreement. And you see what I, what I mean when it says Joseph was committed to doing what's right. He was a, a man who honored the law of God, the Word of God. He lived by God's law. He did what was right, not only by God's law, but you actually see a little nuance here where he did what was right by Mary. He wanted to proceed in a way that would limit her exposure to public disgrace. He wanted to honor God, and he wanted to honor her. But the bottom line is, is that he came to a point in, the cri point in his life because of this crisis, because of her telling him that she's pregnant. He came to a point where he was taking a, a new course of action for his life. He was beginning to bail on what he thought was God's will. Let's read on, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the, of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua means God saves, and this is why this next line is important. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now we're going to go into a commentary. This is from, from Matthew speaking to his audience speaking to his readers, speaking to us directly. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that prophet's Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary being pregnant by the Spirit was a sign that God was bringing into the world his Messiah, and the, mean, and the work of the Messiah will be that he will bring God with us. Verse 24, 
Joseph's response. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until after she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. See, trouble, difficulty, opposition brought Joseph to the place where he was ready to abandon hope, where he was ready to change course from what he knew was God's will for his life. He was going to divorce Mary. Yet God intervened, right? God intervened and spoke directly to Joseph and said, what you think is a crisis is actually me at work. What you consider as a trouble, what you consider as a limitation, what you consider as a difficult out of the ordinary moment is actually the means by which I will bring about salvation to the world, the means by which I will bring hope to the world. And Joseph responded, how? He got up immediately and took Mary to be his wife. He actually accelerated the timetable that he was on to fulfill God's will for his life. He committed not only to, to go back onto that course of action, he committed to move on it quicker than he had planned. And he made Jer Mary his wife. You know, when I look at Joseph, what it tells me is this, this simple truth that I think is very profound for us in this season. Following God in the ordinary... Following God in the ordinary prepares me to follow God in the out of ordinary. Being faithful to God in the ordinary prepares me to be faithful to God in the out of the ordinary and see God at work at that time. When you're asking, does God even listen to my prayers, and you're ready to give up, don't give up. Why? Because you remember that your daily prayers have been answered in daily things. Lord, give us this day our daily bread, and God has provided you in that, and you've learned that God is faithful to deliver. When you are wanting to give up, waiting for that person, the right person, to come into your life, don't compromise on that standard that you have, uh, being a person of faith, being a person of integrity, be a person uh, who, who, who you have standards for. Don't compromise that. Why? Because you will learn to trust in God because as you, as you go through the daily habit of giving thanks for your food and giving thanks for your job and your health and becoming aware of God's provision through thanksgiving, you learn that God provides in His due time and wants what's best and will provide what's best for you. When you feel that there's all, always injustice all around and all you can see are, are, are good people getting what they don't deserve and not flourishing and wicked people seeming to get ahead all the time and you're burning with anger and you want justice, remember the days of your early morning Bible reading as you learned about God and you discovered that God is good and God is just and He will bring all things into account in His time. Trust in Him. When you're facing tough money times and you're like, I can't give any more money, I can't tithe anymore, I'm going to have to stop. Remember, 
Remember the days when you started to give and you started to, to, to trust God with your finances and how He came through every time that there was always everything that you need to live and live well. Don't give up. Don't stop being faithful. See, God, following God in the ordinary prepares me, trains me to follow God in the seasons of the out of ordinary. 2020 has been out of the ordinary, hasn't it? Out of the ordinary in ways that I could never imagine. And what I've discovered is 2020 has made me come to a place where I've had to make a decision. Do I believe in God or don't I? You see, it's easy to talk the talk when things are going well, when things are in the routine, when I'm getting what I want, when I want, how I want it. It's, it's, it's easy and, and not challenging when, when it feels like my prayers are always going to be answered. It's a different story when it's out of the ordinary stuff going on. And I believe 2020 is putting us to a point where we're asking, do we believe? Do we trust? Are we going to hold on to God and not give up because we can't take the pressure? Do we trust God or do we decide, oh, no more, He can't do it right. I'm going to take the wheel of my life and do it my way. Do we love people or do we pull away from that because we want to be safe? We want to continue to worship the idol of our culture, safety and security. Do I believe God's word and stand on his truth or do I give it up because this is crazy times and it's not working out the way I thought it would? There's a passage of Scripture in, from the book of Ephesians that I believe is turned out to be my life verse, particularly for my life in 2020, and I would ask that you would consider it as your life verse. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. The first word in that, those two verses, is the word therefore. And whenever you see therefore in Scripture, what it means is, hey, um, remember what I just said? Well, now I'm going to tell you some more. Therefore is a reference to what has been said in the past. And in this passage of Scripture, the therefore references to what Paul is telling Jesus' followers regarding their position before God. He says, you are children of the light. If you are a Jesus follower, if you've committed to follow Christ as your leader and have received the gift of salvation because he's the forgiver, if that's where you are, if you've made a faith commitment, and I would agree that applies to the majority of us here and online, those of you who are tuning in, you have a faith commitment to Christ if you are that person, then you are a child of God, and you're called to live in the light, not to live in the dark. That's the therefore. This is what he says. Therefore, if you are a Jesus follower, you and me here, be careful. Careful means pay attention. Be observant. Notice the details. Don't miss this. Know that this is a small step-by-step step thing. Be care therefore, be careful how you walk. This concept of walk 
is an illustration for life. It's, it's found throughout this letter. The picture is life is like a journey, a series of steps, one foot in front of the other that we make. So what are we being careful on? As we journey in life, we're paying attention to our steps, our daily steps, the commitments we make, the, the, the rhythms that we live by, the, the way we go about our, our, our lives in our day-to-day. -day. It's pay attention to the daily stuff of your life, right? Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. How we're, to, how we're to operate as Jesus followers, not as unwise, but as wise. Wisdom is doing the right thing in the right way for the right results. Where do we get wisdom? Well, we get wisdom from God. God's truth applied to our life is wisdom. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. The word time here is not the word that we would think of seconds and minutes and hours and, and years and all that, chronological time. He's, he uses a different word that means season. You could use the word uh, opportunity here. So imagine what he's saying is your life is an opportunity to walk in wisdom. Your life is an opportunity as a child of God walking in the light Make the most of the days you're given the opportunity to walk in wisdom because why? He says the days are evil. Well, don't we know that for sure? 2020 has made that so clear. The days are evil. There are consequences to the way you choose to walk in your life. Every one of us operate with faith assumptions. What you feel about uh, what kind of doctor you go to is a faith assumption, a belief. What you feel about what's important in your life is a faith assumption. How you spend your money, how you, how you celebrate Christmas, how you drive your... They're all based upon how you view life. There are consequences to how you walk. And Paul is saying, make the most of this opportunity that you've been given to walk in wisdom Learn to be faithful in the ordinary so that you might be used by God during the out of the ordinary so that you might remain faithful to God and be a conduit for God's work in this season of strange. Following God in the ordinary prepares me to follow God in the out of the ordinary. Joseph is our Christmas example. The trials, the fears, the crisis almost caused Joseph to bail out on the hope that he had, that he'd received from God. But instead, what we found is that he remained faithful. And in remain faithful, he discovered what he thought was a crisis, what he thought was a limitation, was actually the means by which God would bring about his great work of salvation through Jesus and so I'm going to say this, stay the course of your faith. Walk in wisdom in these ordinary days. Continue to be faithful to Jesus. My wife and I often talk about what do we do, what can we do right now? Political situation, the pandemic situation, 
the crisis upon crisis that seemed to be happening and what we're witnessing in our country, what we're witnessing in our communities, we're like, what, what can we do? What should we do? And I said, hon, what we are going to do is we're going to do what we were called to do, stay faithful. We're going to invest the gifts that Jesus gives to us in those whom he assigns to us in this disciple-making relationship. We're going to keep doing that. We're going to share God's word with those whom we have opportunity to with. We're going to be faithful to the commitments we've made at work and in our marriage and in our child-rearing and in our grandparenting. I have to say that. We're going to continue to pray faithfully, give faithfully. We're going to continue to stand against the enemy by living out faithfully, trusting in God. Do you realize, I've become to realize that coming together and doing what we're doing, you know it's an act of defiance? And it's not an act of defiance against the authorities. No, it's an act of defiance against the enemy, the forces of evil. What he doesn't want us to do, what he doesn't want us to do is be faithful and to trust in God. See, the enemy wants us to be deceived. He wants us to be discouraged. He wants us to be dominated, be controlled by our fears. He wants us to be distracted, to lose our mind in our panic, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Show up in the commitments that you made. Hold on to hope. Jesus instituted a practice that he asked us to follow as his, follow, as his, as his people. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Whenever you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to do that. It's called communion. And the way we do it here at church, we've got these little cups and bread uh, at home. However you have that set up, please uh, get that ready right now. But I'll say you take the bread at this moment, and let's take the bread and let's remember that the bread represents a very simple thing, a very ordinary thing, bread, represents the body of Jesus, his life given up on the cross so that we might have life. Let's take the cup and the juice, and the juice represents the blood. The Bible says the blood of the new covenant, a new agreement, a new way by which God has uh, made it possible for us to be right with Him, to be called His children, to no longer be uh, subjects of condemnation, but instead children of light walking by the Spirit of God. We are valued by God, and we have value to give because of the Spirit of God. Let's remember that. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help those of us who are struggling. We're trying to do what's right and be faithful, but it's hard. I pray that you would give us the strength to just take the next step to trust you. And Lord, those who are, who are outside that don't know, that maybe have tuned in or listening, that have not made a faith commitment to you, I pray that they might hear your, your appeal your appeal to them to accept, accept you as, as, as leader and as, as forgiver 
to become part of the family of God so that we might uh, learn, might grow in the ordinary and see you work through the out of the, in, in the out of the ordinary in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. So glad you're with us today. If you have any prayer needs or any response, you can do it online, of course. Fill out the online forms. There's also the cards that are at the foyer. God bless.